0: Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the only podcast focused on helping early stage marketing teams do better than boring work. My name is Jason Bradwell, and every week I sit down with whip smart marketing leaders to talk about what it takes to build a modern day strategy that delivers actual business results, not vanity metrics. Each episode is packed to the rafters with actionable insights and takeaways that you can put into practice today. Let me help you be better than boring. Here we go. So today on B2B Better, I'm excited to be joined by Adrian Barnes, founder of Best Buy Persona. How are you, Adrian?
1: I am fantastic. How are you?
0: I'm phenomenal. Uh, really glad that we finally got a chance to to talk after such a long time um, communicating on on Twitter. Um, and I have been a, a long time admirer of you and your mm-hmm. Um, the lessons that you share with the Twitterverse at large around buyer personas. Um, so tell me a little bit about you. Tell me what you do and tell me how you kind of fell into uh, the, the the buyer persona um, field.
1: Yeah. So, well, I'm Adrian Barnes, founder of Best Buyer Persona, and I also do um, content strategies. So A&B, B2B SaaS content strategy. Um, and really that was the beginnings of me starting to figure out like what is a buyer persona and really realizing that they were not being utilized to their full potential. So when I started uh, four and a half years ago, I was a content writer. Um, I was researching about how to do um, copywriting. One of my friends, she was a a stay-at-home mom, uh, but she had a job and she had a mortgage and she like sent her kid to private school And she was a single mom. So I was like, how do you both stay at home, not have anyone else support you and like pay bills? What are you doing? How are you earning a living? And she said, oh, I'm a copywriter. And so that was my first introduction to like, what does that mean? Like, no, you're not writing legal law. Okay. So like you're writing content. Okay. Um, And really got on and just did like courseria and those free courses that are out everywhere trying to figure out what is copywriting. Um in my past life I was an English major and an English teacher so research writing was very like already close very familiar to me something i was well uh versed in and so it was a pretty simple jump i tried to do a few like direct response landing pages kind of understood the lay of the land for uh copywriting and realized i didn't love like direct response. I didn't love landing pages, sales pages, that whole process. I loved the content, the long form content. Um, but the, that direct response approach was always uh, my method, essentially. It always kind of became the way that I started doing projects. And it's very heavy on customer research, right? Like always know the voice of your customer, understand what your customer wants. Um, as an English major and English teacher, those were the first things I taught as well. Before you write anything, know your audience. Are you writing writing you know, to a senator or are you writing to your best friend? Like that's going to impact your tone, your message, all of those things. So when I started writing for B2B SaaS companies, the first question I asked was, who's our audience? Who am I writing to? How do I write to them? What are their pain points? What do we need to know about them? Um, Besides just like, hey, here's, you know, go write me 700 words about X, whatever topic it may have been. um, I really wanted to make sure that what I wrote was, the best. I kind of have this uh, ridiculous thing in my mind that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to be the best at it. Mm. As silly as it may sound, it is the 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 gauge that I kind of point myself in all the time. Um, and so that's where it came from. And so people, I would had the opportunity to work with a lot of different companies, being freelance and uh, doing fairly good work. People would refer me to other people and other clients and other companies, and I asked that question every time. And so I got to see, they would show me, they would share with me their buyer persona. And some of them would say, I don't know, you know, here's the buyer persona slide deck. We haven't looked at it. Like we don't ever use it, but if you want to review it, here you go. And it would be like 62 pages of slides of just full on huge information. Sally sales girl, this is the stuff. Like, I mean, some of it was great information and some of it was like pointless and fruitless. Um, And then other, I got to see some really good and strong buyer personas that weren't, they weren't like, well, this isn't a buyer persona. Here's our audience. Here are their traits. Um, We segment them in this way. So being able to see that back end of, you know, some really great stuff and some not so great stuff. And that most of my clients, when I said, who are we writing to Um, would say a job description, a job title, uh, it's mid-level marketers, or it's Uh, senior sales associates, or it's the C-suite, and then come up with a generic list of problems that those people face. Uh, It just really revealed to me that we don't have a clear idea of who our customers are, or most companies don't have a clear idea. And in the type of economy that is developing or, or has developed, I think it's here, I don't think it's even something that's going to be happening in the future, that you have to be very specific and niche with your audience Um, generalities are not no longer going to work. So that was basically what led me into uh, falling down a huge rabbit hole of just research, qualitative research, quantitative research, jobs to be done, how to perform interviews, survey design, user design, um, and all of that. I spent about three years really just doing a individual master's degree for myself on how to research and really what does it mean to create information Um, and gather the right kind of information. And that became Best Buyer Persona. So each one of those little pieces is now a part of our process and our final deliverable.
0: I love that. And I I love, you know, you talk about um, generalities not really working anymore. And I think for you, as an individual, you know, If someone were to ask me, you know, who should I be talking to about buyer personas, I would be pulling your name out straight away because you've done such a great job in positioning yourself with your own personal brand development as being the kind of go-to expert for buyer personas. Um, There really is no no other contender. Um, We were talking a little bit before we started recording about my personal experience with buyer personas in that, you know, it's something that I've always known. I need to do. And I've always, you know, I've always, I've always at least given it a go, given it an attempt to pull something together that will give us a sense of direction in terms of who it is that we're talking to. Um, But I've never really felt that I've nailed it. And I think that kind of starts with maybe um, me not truly understanding, you know, what exactly a buyer persona is. I mean, I I understand the concept of it, but you Mm -hmm. mentioned just then that there's kind of like a scale that you've seen where it's like a huge, bible of a document um, that's just full of information it's just too much to digest for anyone to do anything meaningful with it um, at, you know or on the other side of the scale something that's actually um, truly valuable in terms of guiding a content strategy so define it for us what is a buyer persona and why is it helpful to, to b2b brands
1: right so a buyer persona um i've i have been told honestly by old school uh very traditional marketers teachers university teachers um, have told me that the way I define buyer personas is wrong, that I'm not doing it right, that it's really something else. And um, maybe, maybe it is like if you were to get out a textbook of marketing and there's a definition that says buyer persona, it may be something different. So that's kind of my warning is when I describe what I do, most very formal, traditional old school kind of marketers are, they get kind of mad. They're like, you're actually really wrong. You're not doing a good job. So, okay, just with that kind of warning or that kind of, uh, yeah, warning, we'll say that. This is what I really think a buyer persona is. So what a buyer persona should do is it should inform the responsibilities, the roles, the rituals, and the job of your best buyers. And it should be able to do that by filtering through your worst enemies, those customers that like turned quickly, left horrible reviews um you know shouted you out on LinkedIn and were blasted you on Twitter. Those were like we don't ever want those customers to come back. It filters through those. It talks to your like meh customers, those like average just fine customers. And then it talks to like what I call your raving bands. You're like the ones that just love your product. They whatever you you ship, they're gonna buy it. They're praising you all over the place. So we want to be able to speak to all those people, filter it out. What did we do? that attracted the worst enemies like we don't want those people anymore and what did we do that attracted our greatest fans we want more of those and so we really are able to create an entire profile uh, really a strong way to segment our group of people our buyers our best buyers into a a group of not just like oh well this, this is their average job title or this is their average age but really a way of grouping our people together that says this is what they're trying to accomplish when they use our product, or this is a major pain point, or just there are so many different ways to segment outside of like the job or your regular job description. Um, So really that is what a buyer persona is. It's a profile of your best buyer that gives you more information than just their job title and their favorite color is red. It's going to give you their roles, responsibilities, relationships, their rituals, and the job to be done. Um, There are other things. It should also answer your internal questions about your customers. The first thing I do when I sit down with key stakeholders is I say, what do you need to know? And what assumptions are you currently making about your buyers? So if we've got a project coming up, if there's something that we're trying to do, something we're trying to launch or a campaign that's coming up. I want to make sure that the buyer persona is going to answer the questions or give those answers that's going to make whatever we have upcoming successful. Um, So it should also do that. And then why is it successful for B2B? Because it really will, knowing those customers in that way, knowing where they are online, knowing the words that they use, what I call relational keywords, these words that resonate or that they're already using to discuss your own company, um, discuss your product that's going to allow you to find them faster. First of all, you're not just going to be uh, spraying and praying, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on uh, you know, paid ads or marketing every single month. It's going to be able to refine your campaigns. It's going to be able to refine your I mean, your budget, your spending, your sales process gets tightened because your sales team goes, "You know what? I know exactly these 3 Uh, like pain points and jobs match to these kinds of people. So I'm going to be able, if I can talk about these three things in the first 10 minutes, they get it, then I know they're a qualified fit and we can move on. If not, then they're not. And we can move on. I mean, so many things just tighten up and become, uh, they run smoother and quicker when you have a more defined buyer persona and roles within uh, like just the document that essentially everyone can run on.
0: So much more than just simply guiding a kind of content marketing strategy. You kind of talked there that oh, yeah. it can it can transition outside of the marketing function almost entirely and assist and sales and other parts of the business do their jobs better because it aligns everyone um towards a common a common target. Um beyond length of a buyer persona, which I think what puts off certainly me and I'm sure many others. What makes a bad buyer bi- bi- persona? You know, wh- what kind of bad examples have you seen in your in your career?
1: Yeah, so for me, um, bad would be weak segmentation, like basically trying to group your people together based upon something that is not either accurate or doesn't do a very good job of really um, capturing their pain points. So, for instance, like the job title. Um, I do a lot with B2B SaaS. So in the SaaS and software world, you you make up your job title often. You get Mm. hired on and you get to say, This is what I want to be called. Great, that's what you're called. Okay, now go. So if we say we want to, you know, research marketing CMOs, and and Amanda Navitad comes to mind because she created a marketing architect for SparkToro. She got to make up that job title. Um, but she in all respects is most likely she's a first hire. She's the first marketing hire. She's a CMO or a VP of marketing or an executive of marketing. I mean, she would, depending upon which company she was at, it'd have a totally different title. You could miss out on nurturing her because you don't have marketing architect in your like LinkedIn profile type, you know, like we're going to reach out to these people. So a poor segmentation is a, is a bad persona. Another bad persona is one that um, it just doesn't, it wasn't effective. You didn't start with internal questions. You didn't start with wondering what do I need to know about my customers. You just started with let's find out our about our customers. Let's just start doing research, um, rather than really starting with what kind of answers do I need to have. And oftentimes, when you just start with researching your customers, you end up with a lot of information you don't necessarily need. Um, and sometimes people love that, like. I know that some people are like diehard. Yes, we're going to keep the, you know, if she were a superhero, she'd be Wonder Woman and her favorite color is red. And she, uh, you know, walks her dog on the weekend and things like that. Like somebody out there is going to say, I'm never going to stop doing that. That's my favorite part of buyer personas. And like, fine, by all means have that in there. But to me, it's a waste of time. Like why? I don't know. For me, it doesn't, you're not going to be able to tie anything. You're not going to change your brand colors because your buyer persona loves red. You're not going to like change your future product roadmap because your buyer persona uh, has a dog or wants to be superwoman. You're not going to be able to create 12 pieces of content, um, you know, for a quarter or for a month, however fast your cadence is, because your buyer persona, you know, enjoys Chinese food. Like these random tidbits don't help uh, inform anything across the company. Um, I think honestly, that's where you get in. And someone said a buyer, you know, oftentimes when you see that kind of information, it means it was like um, a marketing to-do list is what I call it. It's a check the box marketing practice where, you know, a CEO or a CMO said, "Hey, on our yearly like, timeline, I have buyer persona. Did you do the buyer persona yet? And the CMO goes, like, oh no, okay, so that's on our, that's on our, you know, this quarter's to do list goes and tells the team. And the team like sits in a conference room by a whiteboard and like maybe they talk to sales, maybe they've talked to customers. If they're really together, they've had a conversation or two. Um, And then they just create a fictional character, right? Mm -hmm. They say, Sally, Mary Marketer is this age. This is her picture. And here's her story. Here's her, here's who she is. Um, And I just don't think, that that's necessary. I don't mm. think we have to say Mary marketer. I don't think we have to give them a picture or an age or a name. Um, actually i found in my research anecdotally, and when I've talked to, um, cognitive bi- or j- bias experts, they found that it does actually lay a foundation for bias in marketing. So not only is it just not effective or maybe even, time wasting it kind of a waste of time it can be damaging a little bit as well or at least um exclusive it's not as inclusive as it could be possibly so those are what some bad personas in my mind
0: yeah are. i'm glad you talked about bias because it seems to me that if you're missing that kind of that central step that you talked about there in terms of starting with the question what is it i want to know about my customers that seems to me like a bit of a slippery slope into making assumptions. You know, um, you sit there around the room, maybe with people who've been in the business for a while—be um, they in the marketing or be they in sales—and you just start throwing stuff at the wall that you know you you assume is true based on your own experiences, but maybe doesn't necessarily reflect. Maybe it once reflected who your buyers were. But mm-hmm. it doesn't anymore. And um, yeah. you know, is that something that you've that you've seen in your work that that bias can creep up in that case, in that way?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, and the bias, it's there's so many of them. There's our own confirmation bias, right? Like we mm. know these are our customers, and then we find that in our data. So look, now we're validated that these are our customers, and so now we've created an echo chamber of these are the people. When actually we've kind of forgotten that there's maybe a whole other segment around here that. Were, could be potential customers, um, but because we have, usually it's because we've segmented with this idea in mind, with these kinds of people in mind, um, we've lost track that there's potentially a whole other group of people who have the same pain points or they're trying to achieve the same job um, where, that we're missing out on. That's kind of why I like to segment or filter through my buyer personas by the job to be done. What is the thing they're trying to accomplish? Um, and once we know that, we can see what are the benefits they receive, what, what, what to, are the good things they get out of achieving that job. And then we know, okay, so this is really a good way to, to segment our audiences through these jobs. And that helps us to, to identify stronger stronger segments and, and better groupings of people, essentially better suited to our product, suited to whatever campaign we're doing. Um, but you know, you talked about, people sitting in the the conference room and and making assumptions. There are a lot of things that can come out of that that are great, like positioning. Rachel April Dunford talks about, you know, like she really doesn't need to go and talk to customers about positioning that front that comes from internally in the company. And there are some other people who have practices where, um, yeah, it works great. For the executives or, or the high level people, the people who've been there forever to be the only ones in the conversation and to set the stage for the rest of the company. Um, but buyer personas is not that thing. It's not the one thing where internally we can create the answers. All we have internally are questions. We have to go outside of the company to find the answers to those questions. Um, and that's really why I say start internally, ask those people the questions. And what I'd love to ask them off is, what are you assuming? What do you think you know that maybe you don't actually know? Because that really makes them be like, oh, well, I mean, we're doing things this way, but I guess we've never validated that. Or we've always thought it was this, but we've never validated that thing. So that's also another really interesting question to, to pull out Definitely. on the group.
0: It's kind of segueing nicely into my next question, which was, you know, how do you actually go about creating a buyer persona you know you've got that internal buy-in this is something we need to do and we need to do it you know the right way for want of a better phrase yeah. um what are you advising your clients to do from that point and then as an extension to that what is the kind of end result like what are they holding in their hands at the end
1: yeah so i use and i'm one of the only ones that i've talked to we had a buyer persona summit with my um, client and partner audience back in july so i talked to a lot of people who are really good experts in buyer personas and doing it in different fashions and different ways. And um, I was one of the only ones who use basically a four pronged approach is what I call it. So we do customer interviews. So we're really hearing from the customer's words, we're getting to follow up questions and deeper insights and understand the why right behind their behavior. Um, then we do surveys, which gets to a broader audience, we can usually survey more people than we can actually get on the phone with, we get on the phone with about 20. Usually we have about 100 responses to surveys, anywhere between 50 to 100 is a good number um, for me. And then I do social listening. So I'm also not just hearing their why and the motivation behind what they do, but I'm seeing what they say behind my back. Essentially, I'm watching what they're saying online. I'm looking at what they're saying about my product. I'm working up key terms that I know that are important to um, the the community that I'm trying to research. And then I use um, digital intelligence. So my tool is audience and SparkToro. I use both of those um, for different little aspects. And each one of them tells me basically where my audience is online, um, what kind of affinities they have, who are the people who influence them. Uh, the demographic information, which I still think is good to know, I just don't think it should be the identifying factor of your buyer persona. Mm. So should you know that 85% of your audience is male? Yes, know that. But does your buyer persona have to be male? I don't think so. Because then you're, you're missing a 15% of your audience. And that could yeah. be hundreds of millions of dollars. If you're Coca-Cola, you know, and you think your audience is only male, you've lost out a lot of money. Um So the digital intelligence informs that kind of stuff, like who are the influencers? Where are they online? What affinities do they have? What people influence them the most? Um, So all of that then becomes the buyer persona. So what we do with the interviews is we transcribe that data. And I basically say, I take those questions that the executives told me they need answers. Those become headline topics in a Google Doc. Then I take the transcripts And every time someone talks about one of those topics, I copy and I paste it under that topic. And then what I do from there is it's just a slow process. It's almost tedious. It takes me about two weeks. Actually, I'm about to get into it with um, one of my customers, just where I just spend time reading through that document. I copy paste it. I put it in some word clouds. I um, read through it. I'm like seeing how many times put it into some Excel sheets, see how many times some positive things were mentioned negative things were mentioned um, kind of make tally marks of different things and that that becomes okay I can really see what were the um, most important roles what's a common way that your team is structured? what's some common responsibilities that we see that each person has? what is their tech stack? what other products do they use? Um, whatever those questions were then inform the buyer persona And then at the end when I've done with all the analysis, it goes into a Google slide because I really want it to be, simple and uh, adaptable. And I really don't think you should ever be done with your buyer persona. So I can, your kickoff start, um, you know, I have levels of engagement, actually where some customers, we do small stuff once a month. We're doing a little bitty projects, lit, like mini personas every month. Mm. Um, and really that allows it to be, I say, if you if you have a buyer persona project and it sits on your CMO's hard drive or in your Google slides, then it's not doing its job. It needs to be presented to the entire company. It needs to be shared um, from the CEO down. Every team lead needs to know that persona inside and out and say, like, these are the aspects that are important to us. This is how this impacts us. Um, Always there's a slide that's recommendations because when you're on the phone with that many customers, they're going to have ideas and things that they want to share. And so those have become case studies and like new product roadmaps and just tons of different information for my clients. And so once we use it, I like always stress, don't let this sit here, go and now put this into play. You know, I make sure that I've shared it with product, marketing, sales, and CEO. Like that's really who needs to have the access to it because otherwise, you know, it might as well have just been a card that you've filled out on the weekend. Like we really need to make sure that we've put in a lot of work now let's actually um, reap the w- rewards of this information and put it to good
0: use. You you, you talk about sharing it with a, a lot of different functions within the business that everyone from the CEO down to a junior engineer should be aware of, uh, you know, exactly who the buyer persona is that a company is going after. Are you, do you, have you found it found it necessary to reformat your findings differently for different groups of people within the organization. I'll tell you where I'm coming at this from, you know, where I have done buyer research in the before um, it, it's certain jobs I've worked at, you know, we have fallen into the trap of kind of throwing those kind of marketing Mary tropes around. And, you know, if this customer were a drink, they'd be in Negroni and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. I feel like now on reflection, we almost, you know, killed the idea or the use of the idea before we'd even started because, it then comes across a little bit and pardon my French, I am in France, but marketing wankery, you know, it's Uh like, this is just marketing, having a little bit of fun and maybe there's something in here, but I'm almost put off by the fact that it seems like they're taking it as a bit of a joke. So I know you said that you've got to move away from those tropes, but do you still find you having to display the information in a different way for a CEO than you would do for a manager or differently for sales as you would do for product?
1: Yeah, so I don't necessarily create different slides for each different, uh, business entity or business department that has, isn't invested. But what I do is I talk to each one of those before the process or during the process. And I say, what do you need to know? What's the one, if you could have one like insight from this entire project, what would it be? And then what I want to make sure is that I have that person's like key insight, what they really wanted to know. Cause everyone has their own angle, their own perspective their own like, well, if we, this, then I think it'd be a success. This wants to know something different than the product, lead, then the CEO, because CEO has like long term strategy in mind, right? Like CMO wants to get some quick measurement success. And the product guy wants to make sure that his product's successful that, like, this is going to actually be great. Um, and that they're going to use it. So really, it's a matter of making sure that when I've gathered up these people's questions that I've answered them correctly. So then when we're presenting to them, I can say, hey, you were really concerned about this. You wanted to know this. Here's where it is. This Mm -hmm. is where you learned that. Or this is how um, that question kind of came about um, and where the information gathers. Um, Everybody usually has a central, like a large high level goal. You know, we want to know our customers. We want to know their pain points. But once you get down to a granular level and can really say, but for you to be successful in your job, What do you need to know? Mm. That's a different conversation. So, um, yeah, I make sure that that's included, but I don't necessarily repackage it and create, you know, four different personas for each department. Um, you know, maybe one day when we're a large team that will be necessary, but for right now it's like, here's your one document. We're going to share it with everybody, present it to everybody. And everybody's questions are answered in here.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I can see how that would be really useful. Um, particularly with some of the clients that you probably work with where you find someone saying, we are all things to all people or you know, this yeah. product should be applicable to a bunch of different buyers. Um, and I suppose in just kind of centralizing it all into kind of one person or one buyer persona, it gives everyone... focus, you know, if there's a lot of potential that we could go after around this, around this buyer potentially, but, um, uh, for now, you know, this is who, who we're going after. And that in turn tightens up the sales process, the marketing messaging, Mm -hmm. the product development or what have you.
1: Yeah. Cause so many people say, well, we have 12 personas. Yeah. Or, I had marketing has six personas, product has four personas, sales has three personas, customer success has two personas. So, all together, you know, and it's like, well, actually, you don't. Like, or, I mean, I've never seen it. So, I'm not going to say it's like universal, but I've never seen it where if you have all those multiple personas outside of maybe three or to five, maybe five is pushing it, um, where you are truly catering to those personas because when i say you have a buyer persona you're creating campaigns, content, product, customer support, your sales enablement, everything is catered to that persona. So if you're telling me you have 12, you do not have 12 marketing campaigns for the same like initiative all mm-hmm. at once with 12 different types of copy, 12 different types of ads, 12 different, you know, pieces of content that you're publishing. All about the same campaign right like you're trying to yeah there's no way it's not happening um like maybe two maybe you're doing two um successfully it's just and filtering it by the job to be done is a really solid way of saying like this is the most important piece of what people are trying to accomplish and sometimes their job title is this 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 sometimes their roles look like this these are the responsibilities. They're all, you know, mostly in common, um, and it helps to filter out. Rather than having a dozen personas, you end up with, you know, three, maybe five, where they're yeah. really trying to accomplish these different things.
0: Do you think that a buyer persona is uh, of use in isolation, um, or does it require being part of a wider body of research, or does it require anything? else on top of the document itself in order to be used effectively?
1: I guess it would depend upon what else would be required. Um, So Mm. for my buyer personas, for best buyer persona, we include uh, the language that they use, common words. We include, uh, like we said, the job to be done, those tech stacks, those kinds of questions. So if I've seen people where they separate the buyer persona information from the job to be done. They say, here's a job to be done document. Here's our buyer persona. Um, I've seen it where people do their buyer persona and then maybe in their messaging guides, they create more of like the language and the keywords people use. Um, So it really does kind of just depend upon what you include in your buyer persona. Does your buyer persona, is that the one document that informs the things you need to know? Or was it, more narrow and now you have to kind of go add on to it and do different things in different places. Um, I think for, for my buyer personas, for best buyer persona, it's, they're pretty robust. People have said, you know, product loves to use them. Um, The marketing team obviously love to use it. It's got different kinds of ideas. And um, from that, like case studies and partnerships and different things have evolved. So I think as long as it's not so much of our, Resources needed. It's do you continually like do you know that it's not done? Like yes, it's great, it's good, and it's accurate today, but that doesn't necessarily be accurate nine months, a year, eighteen months from now. So like, are you continuously talking to your customers and doing the social listening and keeping the information fresh and new? That's what I would say for the best buyer persona is the part that needs to be like added on to essentially.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Final question on buyer personas for you. How many times a day do you reckon you say the words buyer personas?
1: (laughs) It's probably a lot. My, my phone even now knows like at the first, maybe like a year and a half ago when I was typing it out, it would always take out persona to person, but now it'll auto correct person to persona. So I know it's quite a bit.
0: Excellent. imagine on the word cloud of your life, uh buyer persona would be a pretty big one. Um, Probably. The, this has been a masterclass, Adrian. Thank you in, in buyer personas. And I'm certainly feeling more inspired than I was going into this into this interview on the value that buyer personas can, can offer B2B businesses. Okay. Um, so thank you so much for sharing for all this knowledge. What do you think is going to be the biggest change in how B2B companies market themselves in the next five years?
1: Oh, I think it's going to be... Um, I mean, it's a buzzword right now. Community. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not. And that can only mean that doesn't have to mean that you have a forum somewhere that people come in and to chat with you with or whatever. That doesn't mean that, you know, Oh, now we have a Slack channel. Surprise. There's a community. Um, to me for a B2B company, it really does mean like empathy, understanding the the journey of your buyer, understanding Um, really truly their pain points and being able to come alongside them in that journey. Um, You know, marketers say that and customers quite don't feel it, but I think we're getting a little bit better. Like it, you know, it feels like it's a a marketer like token kind of thing to say is like, understand your customer. But at the same time, uh, you know, your customers are getting, first of all, we're just getting smarter in the way we buy. We're getting more particular in the way we buy and we are, not just like out hearing the noise. We kind of know what we want. Um, you know, I said the other day, like as a content marketer, I stopped Googling best of whatever, whatever product I'm looking for. Um, and I think, you know, it probably would have happened whether I was a content marketer or not, because you start seeing oh, there's tons of like just blogs up and stuff. Like it's no longer people's opinions. And so being able to be the product or the B2B company that, nurtures a community that can say yeah this is actually a really good product or we really love working with these people Um, you know that's going to be one of the best ways to to grow and to build a sustainable business I think in the coming five years and and the way to do that is to know to know your buyers right to know them well
0: yeah absolutely and I think you know having worked in B2B marketing for, for over a decade now, those kind of barriers to create a community, to nurture a community, be part of a community um, are, are so much lower. You know, 10 years ago, if you wanted to engage in a community, it required you jumping on a plane and flying to a conference or an event and yeah. actually being there in person to, 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 to see these people. You know, now, and it's been accelerated by the pandemic, any B2B brand you know, whether they are a startup or an enterprise fortune 500 company, they have the opportunities, they have the same opportunities available to them um, to a degree in terms of just either, either fostering a community around their brand or just showing up, you know, yeah. and, and p- turning up to where their customers are. And you need to know where your customers are, obviously, um, which would come up through a great buyer persona exercise. Uh you you can just show up and you can start engaging with them on social media or on the forums, wherever they are, wherever they are. So yeah, I I couldn't agree more community. um, A big, big trend for B2B brands. Who should I interview next on B2B better?
1: Oh, you know who you should. Okay. So Charble, what is his last name? Charble Simon. I think Uh, he's on Twitter. He is like just a breath of fresh air on Twitter He is, uh, he lives in DFW, same area as me. Um, He's worked at tons of startups and just all kinds. He's got tons of experience. I think he's like ex Google um, and he is starting some new stuff and absolutely just a joy to talk to and yes, trouble Simon uh, to talk to and to like hear his vision the way he he wants to create a soulful company and work with other companies who want to be more soulful and just talk about creating community. Like really he's trying to launch this whole thing and I may be giving away a little much, but uh, I spoke with him yesterday, such a breath of fresh air. You should totally connect with him. He's amazing.
0: Yeah, I'm just looking at his Twitter profile now, um, founder of SprintWell. I will definitely be reaching out to, yes. to Charbel um, on your recommendation. Um, he looks like he would have a lot of value to bring to the B2B Better community. Um, so, Adrian, on that, thank you so much for coming on to, onto the podcast. I've so enjoyed learning from you um, outside of Twitter. And uh, yeah, can tell us where people can can find out more about you, connect with you online and learn more about your business.
1: Yeah. So bestbuyerpersona.com is a great place. Um, also, Twitter at Adrian Nicole. I hang out there quite a bit. Um, those are probably the two best options to get a hold of me. And thank you, Jason. This was a great chat.
0: It's been great having you on. We'll speak to you soon. Absolutely. That's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you've enjoyed it, you can check out my previous episodes via the link in the description. Or if you fancy getting a nice hot steaming mug of B2B marketing advice on how to build an audience for your brand, you can sign up to my newsletter, The B2B Byte, which goes out every Monday. I'll drop the link to that also in the description of this episode. See you next time.